You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Emery's book, 1001 Albums, is here before you die. episode we'll be talking about jane's addiction nothing's shocking in the room i have rob mystery jar express way to my mouth and on the line i have ben hi good evening josh hello and jackson birch just admit it nothing shocking is the debut studio album by the american alternative rock band jane's addiction released in august 23rd 1988 through warner brothers records the producer was dave Jared and Perry Farrell, and the genre is alternative metal and alternative rock. I'm going to read from the book Manish Argwal. By the late 80s, mainstream American rock was dominated by spandex and hairspray clones who were neither heavy nor metal. Meanwhile, underground bands like Sonic Youth made little commercial impact. Nothing shocking managed to appeal to both camps, paving the way for MTV's partial embrace of alternative music and the success of Nirvana. Jane's Addiction had already caught the attention of the LA Scenesters in 1987's self-titled debut, an independently released live set suggesting psychosexual flamboyant (laughs) and vaulting ambition did not die with Led Zeppelin. Their major label follow-up catapulted singer, lyricist, Perry Farrell, guitar god, Dave Navarro, versatile bassist Eric Avery and virtuo drummer Stephen Perkins into the hearts of freaks across the nation. The aptly titled Ocean Size displays their supernatural prowess, its arena-ready dynamicism enhanced by environmental themes versus and a nuanced widescreen production. The group reveal their dreamy side with a slow-release psychedelia of summertime roles an acoustic beauty, Jane says, a bittersweet portrayal of drug addiction, demonstrating that Farrell's nasal, echo-laden wail can handle empathy as well as outrage. Finally, rock and roll was dangerous again. All right, what do we think of Jane's Addiction? Nothing shocking. First listen. Wow. I liked this record a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It was oh. a good record. Is uh, Dave Navarro a guitar god, though? Yeah, I think he might be. He's so the third good. best guitar player for the Red Hot Chili Peppers is considered a guitar god? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow, wow. Shots fired. Ice cold. I mean, <laughs> I mean, is he the second best? He's definitely not the first best. Who is John Frusciante? John Frusciante, yeah. yeah. No, man, like this is the first time that we've, I mean, we've heard uh, some of the grunge guys like doing guitar like solo work but we haven't heard any kind of articulation like in the uh in the at least alternative scene the way that dave navarro is throwing down on this record yeah he, yes he comes out of the la you know uh sunset strip scene 
with the with the guitar licks like yeah. slash for sure. Yeah, yeah. May, maybe God is 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 pushing it a little bit, but I mean. This band is great. I mean, he does look like an Adonis. He, yeah. like, he, 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 is, yeah, he, he looks like a god. Sh- he like, lives moss. <laughs> I mean, I think maybe part of the reason for that terminology of guitar god is that, like, this style of playing, like what we're hearing right now, this, like, just shredding and, like, all of that. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that that's better than what, like, Frashante does or what other players do by any means, but I think when people usually use that term, they mean something like this. No, I, I, I hear you. Yeah, it's you. like it. So we're listening to Ocean. We have Ocean Size on in the cans right now. I, it's, this it's, is it's epic. First time, first time is I, epic on it. I was not familiar with Ocean Size, but this is like one of my favorite tracks on the record. Yeah, I, I think I, it's I'm awesome. Way into it. I love like it's like the mid tempo, heavy reverb groover of a track. You know, totally. Yeah. Hey, I was surprised we're getting two Jane's Addiction re- records in this book. Yeah, I, I think. You probably probably pick one. I was They're also surprised at how big of a fucking piece of shit Perry Farrell is, man. Yeah, what a piece of shit. <laughs> let's, what yeah. a fucking nightmare, man. Okay, let's talk. It. I, I no, I, I agree. I agree wow. with you. Like, but that blew his my fucking voice mind. and his presence are the reason that we're talking about this band. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, a little history on the album when it was being created. So they stepped into the studio. They had eighteen songs already read it ready to go you know they had just signed to a major label they had a little bit of a bidding war because they were hot shit in mm-hmm. the scene at the time right so the 18 songs they actually just picked what songs would go on this album and which songs would go on to a uh, rule ritual ritual deal yeah. habitual yeah the, the producer so, sat down with those songs and was like we're gonna do yeah these eight or nine tracks in this order and this is what we're gonna do yeah like so so they're already setting themselves up for a bit of success because they have so many songs and it's, it's like if one song were to sound similar to maybe another song, they could just divide it into two albums. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's a killer idea that I hadn't really considered before this week. Um, The other thing is, yes, when they, they were recording and Perry Farrell was like, how does it really work with the, you know, the, the rights and who gets the percentage of the albums? And they're like, well, it's up to the band to decide. And he wanted how much? He wanted 50% off the top. Yep. And then of the other 50%, he wanted 25%. So 62.5%. Yeah, 50, 52% off the top for writing the lyrics. Yep. And then... 25% of the music because he feels he also contributed to the music. Yeah, right. So so he he wanted 62.5% of all of the band's royalties. Yeah. And everyone else in the band would get 12.5% each. And they broke up. Yeah. Imagine that. And then uh somehow the producer convinced them that this was an okay deal. So Perry Feller, Farrell did get 62.5% and the rest of the band got 12.5 and they fucking hated him. Yeah. For it. I think that Perry Farrell was not necessarily entirely in the wrong, but I think he was too greedy. Like I said, I think the reason that we're talking about James Addiction right now is as good as Dave Navarro is, as good as Eric Avery is, as good as Stephen Perkins is, it's Perry Farrell's voice and the way he uses it. That's that that's what I think of when I think of James Addiction. That's oh, iconic, man. I, I, I think yeah. just just as a and sorry, sorry to interrupt. Just, just no, as, I mean, we're, we're we're all musicians here. We we can we, we can rap uh, about this. But like 
just the the concept of being in a band not as a solo artist you are a this is a group this is a band like to have one member fucking like do that like he should have fucking like took taken his ball gone home started another band and then had the fucking started like, the perry farrell band exactly yeah like to to do that to your bandmates that's so fucked up yeah it's so fucked no up. it is the, yeah, it's really I not so dismissive of of their talents and what they bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, right. To think of, I do so much that it overshadows everything that you're doing, right? To, do to the point of, they should sorry, be 25 percent each. Do you think that Eric Avery should be taken home as much as Perry I, Farrell? I do think well, that Perry now, Farrell should have just consulted and been like, "Look, I created most of this music. If you're creating songs, and you know." If he wants to have that discussion, great. He should. He can have that discussion. Yeah, but I do think that just asking for like half when there's four people in the band is it's a pretty you know ballsy move to just, just overwrite so- everyone and say I want this. And you know what kind of grinds my gears a little bit? I, I, I know I'm hopping on both sides of this because I kind of feel on both sides of this a little bit. But wanting fifty percent just for the lyrics, that's. Uh, that that is kind of making the claim that the lyrics are fifty percent of the music, and I was the sole contributor to them. But on songs like "Had a Dad," that dad is Eric Avery's dad. The oh, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Yeah. The concept of the song, the it, it are is Eric Avery's concept. The thoughts are Eric Avery's thoughts. Perry Farrell took Avery, Eric Avery's thoughts and turned them into lyrics, which is a which is a gift. That's a skill, but. Eric Avery should get a percentage of lyric credit for had it at it's his damn dad. Just as Ben, I'm with you on this, just as when Perry Farrell comes up with a lyric and idea for a melody and Eric mm-hmm. Avery comes up with a line for that, or Dave Navarro comes up with this riff that's going to help push that and make that work the way that, that Farrell is, is envisioning it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why it's a band. Mm-hmm. It's a collaborative thing, <laughs> right? You're, you're not yeah. having hired guns come into the studio to do these things. If you did, right. then you should have all of the money and you pay those guys out. And it's AI. Yeah. And the thing too, is that the, the reason why, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but in that scene where, you know, they started in 85, same time Guns N' Roses started. Right. And so when you're looking at the LA scene and those clubs at the time, and it's, it's so split up, right? There's punk rock stuff and there's like the hair metal stuff and there's all this at different clubs. And then Scream comes around, like the club Scream that's just in a factory, right? And they essentially become the house band for it, Chains Addiction. But it has all these groups played. Sugar Cubes played it. Uh, all kinds of groups, you know, came through and played Scream, right? And so what I would argue is that a lot of their success, a lot of at least why they were noticed, came from their live shows. Okay, yeah. If Perry wanted to record some pseudo musicians and put it on a karaoke track and stand up there and sing... I don't think it would have worked. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is it's a band live and writing. All that matters. If you want an extra share because you're also doing an extra part, maybe that's managing, maybe that's whatever. Uh, Eric probably did a lot of like making sure Perry Perry got on the stage. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so maybe that, and yeah. So that's why I take issue with a lot of this stuff is that there's so many jobs that aren't really seen as jobs that everyone does in a band to make it work. There's plenty of bands where it doesn't break down equal. Like Beatles didn't break down equal. You know, Lennon McCartney took home yeah. more than Harrison Starr. But, right. yeah. but 62.5% is 
that's a bridge too far. It's an exorbitant sum. And it goes, it goes, it goes just beyond like this, like him being a piece of shit also comes down to like the album cover and like the way that like it was made. Like he, he like what, what, what what, was it? Warner brothers that this came out on. Yeah. Yeah. It's Warner. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like the Warner brothers, like, brings in these guys to make this like basically just like build these like uh like conjoined yeah conjoined twins with their hair on fire and like they're doing all of this work and as opposed to Perry Farrell paying somebody like for their time and their work, he watches them for a few days, learns what they're doing and fires them. So he can do the same thing that they were doing like and and just call it like his own thing. Like it's 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 fucked up on a couple of different levels. And yes, granted, if he hadn't had his 62.5%, perhaps we wouldn't have had Lollapalooza, whatever. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's just, it's, it's a, oh man, it, I was so sad to like read all of these things about him. It's, it just sucks. It sucks. I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate for, for Perry Farrell's uh, behalf again for the art thing. Yeah. So, so yeah. So you, you describe your idea to, to Warner brothers. Warner Brothers hires some guys to make a sculpture. While they're making the sculpture, you kind of realize this isn't really how I envisioned it. And now that I've watched him, I think I could do it better myself. And then he actually did. That sculpture that he made is a great album cover. Who knows what the what the what the guys Warner Brothers hired were working on? And I, I'm sure they they definitely need to be amply compensated for their time. But if they weren't matching up with the artistic vision, and the guy who actually had the vision thought he could do it better himself. And yeah. more power to him. I did not get that off of reading about it. I got it as like, well, now I now I know how to do it. So fuck you. Like I, <laughs> I, I didn't see it as like, well, this this isn't what I thought sure. I was going to be. I, and I'm I'm, I'm sorry, like, but we we shouldn't have like 15 minutes front loaded of pitching yeah. about Perry yeah, Farrell. So one thing that I was going to bring up, especially when we were talking about just sort of how like bands break down, especially with this record, and specifically with Eric Avery, as Ben had brought up. Eric Avery is so important to this record. Uh, I think w- without that bass tone, without like all those opening lines, all of that, like it anchors this record. You wouldn't have mountain song. He drives it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and and to me, like it, it allows, so not only would you not have, I, I, Ben, I think you're right, that probably some of that stuff came from what he wrote. But even aside from that, if he wasn't doing what he was doing, this record would be really hard to listen to. Uh, mm. it, he's able to take like the piercing guitar and Perry Farrell's like, screech yelling and, and how they're doing all this you know quiet loud kind of like bombastic you know sort of surprise stuff and uh eric avery is able to pull it all together and and make it feel like a solid cohesive thing yeah uh, i think yeah. you put another bass player in there and and granted you know and, and james addiction had other people play bass with it right uh but i think that on this record what he chose to do was so important I just want to, yeah, reemphasize that the the music is super important. In a, so good. It, it's a band. It's a band. You know, yeah. like they're there. They're practicing. They're doing the shows. They're. It's a whole. 
it's a whole thing. If Perry Farrell wanted to say, you know what, uh, I want to, you know, get a different percentage, do that after you're, you know, successful or maybe on the next album or something else. Don't just bring it up when you're in the studio and, you know, trying to get your first get trying to get off the ground. I mean, it just maybe yeah. that's what Porno for Pyros <laughs> is for. Perry. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, ex- you, can, exactly you can have what your Porno side for project. Is for. If what? you if you want to do a solo album, I'm sure Warner Brothers would have been like, "Cool, Perry Farrell band, you know, that's doing the fur burned. That sounds great for Warner Brothers. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some of the songs. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So bringing up so bringing up Perry's sort of like you know kind of aggressive and like all this stuff. One of the things that I love about James says is that it is. I mean, it's his perspective, but in like a third person sense of somebody else, right? So he's just telling this sort of story about someone else. And I love how that breaks up the album. I love how that breaks up this like sort of persona that he has. I feel like it, it feels very different to me in a good way. Um, and I love this record. I mean, I, I grew up on this record um, and it terrified me when I first heard it and I loved it. Right. You know, it's for all the problems this record has, you know, I, it has a, a very, you know, a big place in my heart. Right. But, but I think that specifically what Jane says, I, I love how it's this third person and it feels like it's a different voice for Perry. Like, what do you guys, do yeah. you guys feel the same thing? Like, yeah, you, absolutely. Yeah. It comes really late in the record too, which is interesting to do a sort of softer balladry, you know, that close, but it, I think it's a good, a good move because you come from summertime rules, which to me felt like the, what would you say? The Venice beach, like get high you know, mm-hmm. watch the waves all day. Totally. Uh, yeah. it, you know, with all the freaks, purple hair, dreadlocks. Right. He'd been hanging out with Anthony Kiedis and exactly. did this thing. Yeah you're, yeah. you're doing that. Summertime Rolls goes right into Mountain Song, which is a beautiful rocking song down to Idiot's Rule. And then as Jane says, you know, it's kind of this whole uh, amped up from the from the middle of the album down to Jane says, and then it kind of brings it back up. Um, it goes to thank you boys and then comes back up with, you know, pigs and Zen. So yeah, I think that Jane says is, is perfectly placed. Like you said, it's a really good narrative. I didn't know every single, you know, line in the song was pretty much verbatim, like a real life situation. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, well, it's loosely based on Jane and I had always heard that, you know, Jane's a real person, but God damn, Sergio, like going to Spain, yeah. all that stuff was oh, man. literally uh, the things that were happening. Yep. I just can't imagine, you know, someone writing about you and that that perspective and, and then just it becoming a huge song. She was uh, their muse. Yeah, a bit. They named themselves after her. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure why that happened. It was just. She was like their their, their roommate, not, right? Yeah, and they, they wrote, yeah, and, yeah. So she I know, lived but, with Perry, they wrote about her. Yeah, but I'm not exactly sure why she was became their. You know, you, you said Muse, uh, which you know Perry Farrell was involved with, a filmmaker. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember her name right it, now. It, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, he had a girlfriend, but you can be artistically inspired by by someone and not be in a romantic relationship with them. True. True. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I think it's interesting, too, that from what I read, she was the only person to hold down a decent paying day job 
that lived in that house, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course. Uh, right, of course, yeah. Because uh, they were musicians. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but she has this, you know, this drug problem and this, like, you know, but yeah, that's, I mean, that song, though, like the honesty and the sadness and like this naive, like hopefulness, like in it, it's, it's all like, it's just, it's a different, it's a different emotional sort of feel to this record. Whereas this record's very emotional. Like it's very, you know, up and down. And, it's all over the place. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just, you know, Perry's just dropping like all these personal things, you know, there's, there's so much to it. And then this feels a little more cohesive and separate. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's awesome. It's really interesting because, you know, you've got what like, Ocean Size, Had a Dad. I mean, those are, you know, epic, freaking, like, heavy songs. Yeah. And that they're not the only ones on the album that are like that. But that's what kind of fascinates me about the band is, like, are they, like, psychedelic? Like, are they, like, glam? Are they punk? Are they fucking hippies? Like, yes. rock. All it's, of it. It's, it's all of it. And I think it's awesome because, like, Ocean Size, just for, just for example, how, you know, how hard that, that hits and then you've got like jane says well they have like fucking steel drums on this you know and the lyrics about like mother earth all over the all over the album like i don't think anybody really had that vibe you know that that i know of yeah um, I, I did get i will say i did get a little bit of in living color vibes totally to this. good call yeah, and, for sure. Good it, call. It had a little bit of that uh in in Faith No More's, you know, around this time uh in the West Coast scene. So it is a little bit in Chili Peppers. Uh, yeah. of everybody kind of mixing these like funk with hard rock metal. But you're right. Jane's addiction does hit different. In in, yeah. in a lot of that is the sort of emotional appeal of what would then become Nirvana and Soundgarden and uh, Alice in Change, you know, that really raw, emotional uh, set to, uh, you know, hard rock. Totally. Yeah. It, of the day. Sorry, I, I, I went somewhere weird um, when, when you were talking you about all, all of the uh, all, all the possible, like, you know, um, influences. Like, my, my brain just went peace rock. So I looked up when Peace Frog came out. <laughs> and it was actually 1985, the, the Peace Frog decal. Not not the 1970 okay. Doors song, but yeah. the, the decal was in 85. So yeah, I guess Jane's Addiction is the birth of Peace Frog. That's, and, that was honestly another one of something I was going to say. It was like, are they like the Doors of the 90s? Because I kept going back to the fucking Doors listening to yeah. this album. Yeah. Ooh, right? Man, man well, maybe. Yeah. 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 Led too. In so many ways. I, yeah. I recently listened or, or uh, I read an interview and someone was comparing them like Jane's addiction is like liking the doors when you're a teenager. <laughs> like it has, a, I get the, it. The same type of a uh, uh, reaction you'll get from people. Also, they're very like beach goth, I guess. I love yeah, the beach goth. Beach goth. Okay. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Um, All you need is a parasol. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's got this and, and you know, the, the thing is it appealed i mean i don't know about everyone here but when i was in high school people who were on the you know basketball team and the art kids could all listen to jane's addiction right mm -hmm. like been caught stealing it transcended yeah. the like the spectrum of it. The, 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 
these are huge pop hits, like yeah, pop for sure. hits. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I yeah, was but, really but surprised. I think they, yeah. Oh no, I, I was just I was very surprised how I much of this album that I knew outside of ever listening to the record. Mm-hmm. I mean, because this predates, you know, the. I mean, it. <laughs> It's weird being older and how like time doesn't really mean what it meant when you were a kid, but like 1988 and then like I'm hearing Jane says like on MTV, like in 1993, right? Like mm-hmm. I just assumed it was on the same record that, right. you know, Cut Sealand would have been on. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Right. Lack of airplay right. on MTV and modern rock radio meant nothing shocking. Sold only 200,000 copies. Uh, in its first year, it went on, however, to sell over a million and was certified platinum in the USRA because of the second record, the second record. Yep. And then they just came back to it. Also, Ted just Ted just admitted it was a natural born killers, which I know is right. why I think I that's how I ended up with the CD. Mm. I knew who they were because they've been caught stealing. But um, I'm pretty sure that I bought nothing shocking because of that yeah. song. That's interesting. I hadn't really put it together. I don't know how many records we've got like that where someone the the second album brings people back to the to the original, you know, like to the first album. I thought right, and the was, is that this wasn't even the first album. So they no. had like well, the self-titled. That, that was live. It was too, a live. Yeah, this is their first studio album. Yeah. I thought that Blister in the Sun came out in like 94. It came out in 81. <laughs> <laughs> Like whenever yeah, Reality real. Bites came out, I assume that that's when Blister in the Sun came out. <laughs> you know? Hey, speaking of steel drums, does anyone else just like really get the hunch that Stephen Perkins was a band geek? Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I felt like this ever since in real time in the 90s listening to Jane's Addiction, I was a, a band geek on the drum line. And just the, the way that he plays and what he plays and the fact that he can then just hop over to steel drums like, oh, man, yeah, th- this guy spent some time in the pit. You know, <laughs> he's absolutely. <laughs> the steel drums were, uh, were a suggestion by the producer, David uh, Jordan, and they were not like Perry was not on board with it. They actually Steven's playing them on in the music video. Is he not playing them on the album? No, no, I'm I'm saying it was a, a suggestion by the producer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he yeah, no, suge- I, I remember reading about this. I think they gave him like two more percent of the you know all the money that came into no, i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, almost covered the cost of a set of steel drums <laughs> right. they said that they still kind of prefer the live version of uh jane says uh without the steel drums but i don't know i think it, it definitely all about the steel drums i know it really when i said venice beach i mean it has that that sound right it's like you're walking down in in LA uh, or in California, and it, it yeah, it just hits a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I love that they're saying "cash in now, baby" mm-hmm. on a mountain yeah. song. <laughs> That's what they're doing, Warner yeah. Brothers. Mountain, <laughs> mountain yeah. song is such a jam. Hell yeah, such a jam. Oh man, yeah, it's used in in so many cinematic moments, and I'd never get sick of it. Yeah, like whenever anyone is running down a mountain. You know that they're going to be playing. <laughs> playing this but again, like that that Eric Avery opening though. I feel like he's incredibly important and sort of underrated. Yeah. I don't know what part of the song was written first, but listening to it, it feels like it builds off the baseline. 
Yeah, and the thing is that even if Navarro wrote some great riff or Perifel wrote some you know idea for a melody, the fact that he could put that together and make it be what it is, especially when you look at the entire record. And I mentioned this before, but I really think that you need some sort of cohesive anchoring kind of piece. And, and I think he does that. And yeah. there's a lot of credit to, to the producer there too, I believe as well. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right. Yep. Because this whole, I mean, it's controlled chaos. A lot of this is controlled chaos. Yeah. Which personally I think is fantastic, you know? Um, but I mean, they are, these guys are crazy. And the album is nuts. It's yeah. not at all a rare practice to, uh, to like double or, or multiple record, like a lead vocal track, you know, to give mm-hmm. it thickness. And often people try to replicate their vocal performance as much as they can. So it doesn't sound like two different recordings. It just sounds like one thick recording, but the vocal performances on this album, so often there's, multiple Perry Farrells in your head cans. Sometimes they're singing the same thing. One of them singing high, one of them singing low. Sometimes one of them singing and the other one's yelling at you. And there's all this like reverb and delay everywhere. It, it, speaking of controlled chaos, it's just yeah. even, even just in the, the vocal recordings. It's yeah, it's cool. It has yeah, a sort of sure. swirling quality that absolutely yeah, it's almost like swirling yeah. around you. And I've, I heard that, you know, some people said that the live shows were just, unreal like next level um yeah when they're playing live because it just uh they would use those uh those uh delays and uh delay effects to to sort of create this sort of cacophony of of uh of sound and everything i mean that's that's part of the vibe of the album I found really interesting too when uh, they first started, you know, becoming a band. Navarro was in there, and Perry Farrell met up. Uh, they both had an Ibanez DM1000, which is a rack mounted uh, delay effect. And they were literally just have the same thing. Perry was using on his vocals, Dave Navarro was using it on his guitar. <laughs> and they said, we both looked That's at each other is. and said, quote, Wow, you're just swirling an echo just like me. <laughs> <laughs> that well that that explains a lot yeah it it's very it's very sweet yeah yeah, yeah. so half now the, i know how they the got band, that sound on a lot of the album half the band is just yeah. drenched in echo yeah. <laughs> yeah i watched a documentary about that scene uh and that's what one of the sound guys talks about is how jesus edition comes out and there's just all echo but they sound better than everybody else it's uh, yeah if you can control that echo if you can yeah. give it the space to breathe that's yeah. what's up you know? Yeah, and there's also more to it too, in in some ways, right? But but yeah, that's sure. th- that production level. That yeah, when it works, it works. Yep. So right now we're listening to "Idiots Rule." You guys know that that trumpet is fucking flea. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. if you're listening, great, 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 great job on the trumpet, bro. Good job, yeah, flea. Good, yeah, job. Yeah. good job, flea. Yeah, yeah. good Thanks. job, flea. Oh, and also too, flea. I just watched uh, "Dudes" recently. <laughs> Um, a, a movie about some punk rockers who go astray in New Mexico. 
Um, and you did a pretty good job acting. <laughs> I just saw the acting in something. Was it a Star War? I, I seriously, I just <laughs> oh, saw him in yeah. something. I just and, and he and, and he plays plays like uh, an enforcer, like he always does. Classic Flea. Uh, Flea, who by 1997 is going to consider himself a member of Jane's Addiction for a while. Oh, that's yep. right. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. And to be honest, too, like I feel like a pretty good choice in a lot of ways. The 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 Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction, I feel like they're kind of soul brothers and they can just swap members pretty easily. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot of people said that Jane's Addiction would have been, you know, just like the Chili Peppers. They would have continued on that that path if they didn't break if, up. If they hadn't broken up yeah. so many times. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's even, it's even cooler, you know. Like the Red Hot Chili Peppers have some, you know, some compelling, you know, albums. But I've, I, I, I find Jane's Addiction to be even more compelling. These, you know, this, this album and Ritual is, is Ritual in the book too. Yes. Did you already say that? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. You, you know, like I said, I had this in, the, I had this album in the '90s. I think I was probably a little too young to get it. Though, like, like Josh, you said it scared you. It scared me too. And I was really confused about really what I was kind of listening to. So honestly, it didn't get that much rotation for me at the time. But coming back and listening to it, I was like, I definitely got the got the scope and the vibe of it much more. And I was, I I fucking love it. Same, Jackson. Same. Yeah, I like it better as an adult. And it was a Star War. He plays a bounty hunter in like the first episode of the new Obi Wan Kenobi show. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, love yeah. the cover. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful cover. I mean, it's I, a great oh, sculpture. It I'm, 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 makes me curious what the uh, what the, the, the dudes from Warner Brothers were working yeah, on. <laughs> I, I was, too. But I, I mean, Perry Farrell like knocks this out of the park. Obviously, um, since it's there's nudity, you know, America was like banning it and putting it in a plastic it's fucking, it, it's, it's paper mache nudity though you know it's not real nudity <laughs> really right? it's newspaper yeah, yeah. yeah it's glue. also really well done <laughs> nine of yeah. the 11 big record stores refused to carry this record yeah huh? remember when there were 11 big record stores <laughs> thanks napster <laughs> yeah yeah sure do it to me it's it's really interesting because it, it's it feels like an like a very genuine art piece um, as well, even that too. piece of furniture is bespoke, like exactly. rocking chairs wrapped yeah. back and forth, not side that. to side. That's right. custom made for the sculpture. Right. Yeah. Can I, can I, can I say this? I wish the cow cow skin wasn't on there. Yeah. That's what is this little, fucking? Is this get a grip? That's a little right. weird. That was the one <laughs> I mean, thing that I find a little. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Honestly, honestly, it matches the James Addiction vibe. So like, I I'm fine with it. But like, I kind of wish it wasn't there, and it was just like a. Yeah. I I, I, seems yeah, kind of silly. It, it, I, I wish just the background of the sculpture was full frame, you know? Yeah. Same. Make it cleaner. But it's Jane's addiction, I'm, dude. I'm nitpicking. It's a it's a good album cover and this, weird. Is a, yeah. this is a really good album. And I really do feel like, and we've talked about this a little bit with some other albums around this time, but it really is a bridge from that eighties to nineties, moving to that alternative, especially yeah. from like as all of you had mentioned with like the comparisons to like the hair metal stuff, everything that was going on in LA at the time, this kind of moves us out of it and gets closer to what like the nineties are going to be. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 
transitional album i feel like yeah not just for the band but for us as a culture yeah literally set the stage i feel like uh yeah and all those acts uh, did give them credit from nirvana to smashing pumpkins to rage against the machine i mean they all credited uh jane's addiction for sort of a breaking the mold right and and the fact that that this you know that eventually they were as, as successful as they got to be is pretty wild yeah 100 percent. and somebody brought up earlier this idea of you know it's like all the freaks like them right so it gets out of like in the 80s when it's like you're a goth or you're you're into punk or you're a metalhead or whatever and in the 90s where it's just like there's all these subgenres, subcultures of rock and roll that we shall call them alternative. <laughs> sure. Right. And then, and then, you know, what would be good and probably make a lot of money. Maybe not exactly 64%, whatever it was, but uh, <laughs> let's make a music festival. 62.5. Uh, you know what? If I'm going to make a music festival, how about give me at least 63.5? Who <laughs> knows what he pulled in on that first line. I know. Do you want to go back to that just a little bit? I mean, people yeah. do things all kinds of different ways. No, I know. And... I was just making a joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, 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 totally. But, you know, but about this percentage situation, like, yeah, people do it all kinds of different ways. And I forget who it was maybe it was birch but like i totally agree like yeah madonna can do that you know like you could you can do that this was their first you know studio album first major yeah. label release like it seems like this was not the time to sort of pull that power play yeah when you're in the in the studio too right yeah, i mean yeah. yeah and i i also read something where it's like perry farrell will tell you he's a narcissist and like an awful yeah. person, you know, like yeah. he says that that's the reason James, James addiction broke up. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Which I'm sure is true. Yeah. yeah. I guess what I would say is that with Lollapalooza, though, I think, you know, going back to like Scream, where had all these different bands that were playing there, all this stuff is happening. And it sort of creates this just kind of counterculture, this broad counterculture. I think that was very shaping of what the 90s were going to be. And I think that in a lot of ways, Huge. it was good for bands. Huge man. Um, I, I think it you know broke it out of these specific things. And obviously, you know, some of it still stayed in it, but I think it made it a little more accessible in some ways. And, and when you look at bands that got successful in the 90s, you know, I mean, anyway, we don't need to get into all this stuff because we're gonna touch on all of it. But okay. Yeah. Uh does anybody want to guess the first lineup, 1991, the Wall Festival, who was uh the headliners? Does anybody know? Oh. Susie. Susie was there. Ice T was there. Body yeah. count. Yeah. Um, was it not Jane's Addiction? Were they not the headliners? Well, notable artists. I mean, yeah. Okay. So Ramones played the first one, right? Or was the second Ramones played? I don't think they were on. The I don't first. think they're on the first one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, included Nine Inch Nails, The Butthole Surfers, Rollins Band, The Violent Femmes, and Jane's Addiction. Uh, as their farewell before their right. first breakup. The whole idea, yeah. Right. So they basically broke up after uh, they created it. Perry Farrell created it. Uh, was everybody think? Jane's section. Nothing shocking. Mm-hmm. Positive. Positive. Yeah. Positive. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's. I'm pretty pretty impressed as a 41 year old. <laughs> listening to it now. 40 wonderful year old. You can do <laughs> it once, bud. Enjoy it. Thank you. It it has aged rather well. I will say I that. Would say, I would agree. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I, I think I'm going to get into some of the grunge and some of the alternative records and, and think, uh, I, I didn't remember it being like this, but this one definitely seems to have 
yeah. I agree. It's still good. All right. Dark next. hippie punk. Yeah. All right. Next yeah. time we'll be talking about public enemy. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. All right. Thanks y'all. Yeah, boy. And yeah. thank y'all. This has been a very fun time, but I, I need to sign off. Sing.